friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. This is episode 68. It is Monday, December 16th, 2019. We are on the precipice of a new decade. And when I look back at the past now almost 20 years, I can't believe I've been doing MC Lars in some capacity for almost 20 years. My first MC Lars show was as Lars Horace, and it was March 11th, 2000 at the church at the school I went to. And I built it as an evening with Andrew, and I did Star Wars raps, Shakespeare raps. Nothing much has changed other than I've been doing this 20 years. So I'm sure a lot of you at the end of the year are looking back with nostalgia and just thinking, gosh, time flies quickly. And I think as you get older, you know, that becomes a stereotypical thing you say. I remember always hearing older people say that when I was young, man, where does the time go? But as you get older, time speeds up. And it was interesting talking to Ultra Kleistron, aka Carl Olson, because we hadn't hung out in real life since 2007. What? But we've been in touch. And uh, I've always followed his music. And we worked together on stuff. He did the Telltale Heartbeat from the Edgar Allan Poe EP that featured Mega Ran. Um, and it's just crazy. Life is crazy. And I think as I get older, I'm 37 now, I think about how patience is such a virtue, dude, because it's so easy to get anxious and wrapped up and want things to be on your schedule. But sometimes the universe has plans you don't know about. And that might sound kind of hippie, kind of California Bay Area, you know, tech hippie, like, well, the universe has a plan. But I, I don't know. I think that's true. And I think part of what I've been finding through these podcasts is that I've nurtured all these amazing friendships and relationships with some brilliant people. And I love that I can use this platform as a way to uh, share ideas, share the work of my creative peers, and meet new people. And I learned a lot about Carl this interview. I learned about his love of Japanese culture, which I kind of knew about, but he really schooled me on it. I learned that he's really been working with a lot of younger, progressive, SoundCloud, emo, trap kind of artists, which is this new generation that I think a lot of nerdcore and old school people are kind of resistant to, thinking, oh, these new Generation Z rappers, I can't relate to that. But Carl's like, oh yeah, I've been doing anime raps for 20 years. So shout out to you, Carl Olson, and thank you for being on the podcast. This episode was brought to you by the following Patreon Larsons. What? If you want to hear my Marvel songs, I have a Hulk song dropping in a few days. I just did a pop punk Thor song. And I'm loving doing the MCU songs. I'm doing a song about every movie in the MCU. We got Black Widow coming out soon. I just saw the trailer, so I got to mix that in the mix. But check it out. Patreon.com slash MCLars. You also get access to my entire discography and close to 100 songs behind the quote unquote paywall so patreon's tight shout out to that platform and uh, shout out to the supporters who literally allowed me to do this brandon dj glass and dan sal the new one shout out to the old ones carlo patrick zemer and brian alred thank you all you all are the best and uh, i appreciate you with all of my heart so ultra klystron a lot of you may know about this dude through a few different uh, avenues so I first heard about Ultra Kleistron. There's this book called Other People's Property by Jason Tans, who now I think is an editor at Wired. And he wrote this great book about white appropriation of rap. And he has a really interesting chapter on nerdcore. And I think it was the first time any academic rap history books 
kind of acknowledge Nerdcore's existence. And he uh, profiles Frontalot and Chris. But he also profiles Ultra Klystron in this chapter because Carl was hanging out with Damien at PAX, like 2006. And so he wrote a lot about him. So I was like, oh, who's this Ultra Klystron guy? So I got into him. Then I saw Nerdcore for Life, which came out around the time as the Frontalot documentary. And uh, Ultra Klystron is very much featured throughout this documentary. But he went to get his computer science degree and worked at Microsoft, and never really toured, but stayed mad prolific. And one of the interesting things we talk about in this interview is how, as a kid, Ultra Kleistron didn't watch a lot of TV, he didn't play a lot of video games, his family encouraged him to create, consume less, create more. That's always something I try to impart to my students when I do workshops, and just in general, you know, don't sit and binge watch TV. Sometimes that's fun, I guess, but like try to spend your time putting things out there. Even if you don't have a million views, even if you're not monetizing your content, if you believe in what you're doing and you experiment, go ahead and try it. And Carl dropped some wisdom, man, on this, on like, and what's ha happened with the world and why the OG Nerdcore people are in a different lane now as these new young rappers have come into the mix. So it, this was a really fascinating conversation with a really sensitive, smart, brilliant artist. And um, I hope to work more with Ultra Klystron in the future. Um, I did a verse on one of his projects a while back. It was called Figures or Fendi. And it's a really honest verse. I, I re-listened to it after I we did this podcast. I was in Maui um, doing a writing retreat and I wrote that verse and I forgot, I forgot how honest it was. So anyway, we're going to listen to one of his new songs from his new album, Variable Undefined. It's called Gaming in Kyoto. So I'm going to play that at the end. Then I'm going to talk to you about next week. But anyway, this is my interview with the great Ultra Klystron right here on the MC Lars podcast. Choo! Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Carl Olson, a man who's prolific, probably one of the most prolific artists I know, and who I wanted to have on the podcast since the inception of this, like over a year ago, and we finally made it happen. What's up, Carl? How you doing? What's up, Lars? Before we start recording, we were trying to figure out when we last hung out IRL, and we couldn't, we knew it was a long time, but we couldn't remember when, right? I, I, it must have been the high dive with Frontalot. Oh, that might, oh, yeah, that that would make sense. Yeah, because I saw a lot of those shows. That would have been 07. Whoa, 12 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you're saying you went back to school? Yeah, so, um, yeah, my time my timeline was weird. So, like, I went to community college at first because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was already kind of aware that student loans were expensive. So I'm like, I will work out what I want to do at $1,000 a semester, not three to $5,000 a semester which was good because I spent four years in community college trying different things and ultimately still landed on uh, it probably just computers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then all of this stuff with the documentary was starting to turn up right as I was wrapping that stuff up. So I was like, oh, okay. And I was also getting an opportunity to write for an animation news review site, basically in exchange for like DVDs and press badges. But I'm like, I should try and see what I can do with this too. And uh, so, like, for a couple of years there, plus there was some uh, back and forth, like, my, my grandfather's health was beginning to fail, so we had to move him from Spokane to Seattle, so he was closer to us. So there was just, everything was hectic for a couple of years there. 
And then I was lazy about getting back into school. So finally, in 2010, I went back to university and completed uh, a actual four-year degree uh, in, com- in computer science at uh, Simon Fraser University. Um, it was also an opportunity, like, uh, around all of this runaround. So, like, in 2005, I first met uh, Nurse Hella in line for MC Chris's set at PAX. And we were internet friends for a year. And then we were started long-distance dating. And we did that for, like, four years, almost, before, like, hey, we should try and should try and live in Canada and actually be in the same place. We'll see if this works. It did. Yay. So you moved to Canada from Seattle? From Seattle to Vancouver. That's a trip. I put, I, I put 30,000 miles on my car. <laughs> I mean, if you had to choose America or Canada, I think you made the right choice. Okay. Um, so the day of the 2016 elections, uh, Hella and I were actually in a hotel room because our basement suite that we had been renting since I was in university uh, she kept it while I was up in the in the states, and then we kept it when I came back. Um, had a sewer flood because the um, it was an older home, and the people who owned the house and were renting us the basement suite lived above us, but they never really understood to maintain things like the sewer lines, which were probably like old like uh, asbestos sewer lines. So mm-hmm. they collapsed and it flooded into our basement. So the day of that election, we're in a hotel room. We're like, you know, it's really bad. We know we're kind of technically homeless right now, <laughs> but <laughs> we're in Canada. We live in Canada, we have, yeah. We have, we have support. Like, it's one of those things that, like, it's heartbreaking because, like, I have all these friends in the states, and they're like telling me things like, you know, I've had to ration my insulin, and and you know, like, I can't afford like this, and I'm just like, whole, like, I just can't, like, uh, uh, like my brother's worried about whether he wants to like stay on rolls sometimes because like you got to keep in health insurance and stuff. So it's really nice to be in Canada and have like that level of security. You understand like, Oh, there's a lot of mobility, individual mobility that's available because there's a uh, greater sense of social support here. And it's actually probably better long-term for society. Cause people don't just, Oh, I had a cold and died. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> you could go see a, uh- superhero movie and you don't need to wear a bulletproof vest no and it was actually it was a real point of anxiety when i was down in the states for that year working for danielle was because like there'd be a shooting on a microsoft campus now it wasn't the microsoft campus i was on but she wouldn't hear that in like the initial news report if she's like watching cable news or something and she'd be like calling like you okay i'm like yeah no that was up at the seattle campus and down in redmond it's it's cool I-, I wanted to talk about how i first discovered you and some of the work we've done together I remember first reading about you in um, Jason Tance's Other People's Property. He was there to basically t- mostly to talk to Front at PAX. Like he was doing his interviews there at PAX. And I think it was hanging around Front's booth. So yeah, I was there when Tance was there. And I think he pointed out, I was like, oh yeah, this kid's also doing it. And he's kind of like, and so we did a little quick interview. And then I bought the book. And I have to say, like Tance had this amazing line in there. It was like, nerdcore is white on white rhyme. And I'm just like, you know what? You know, at that point, <laughs> that's funny. it was not an incorrect assessment and i think it was i think you know certainly the people you know early on there were it was an ingenu- it was a genuine like this is the a, a non-appropriate way to interact with hip-hop in as much as you're doing one of the most important parts of rap which is you are keeping it real you're being authentic like you're right. not trying to fake like you're hard or anything it's like no i'm a huge embarrassing nerd and i will just be honest about it and then that kind of loops back around to authenticity even if it is still awkward but it's like it's there's a difference between awkward and you don't realize it and awkward and you are painfully aware of it (laughs) and i think that's definitely was cognizant early on for me the second one 
that you're aware of it or not. Yeah, fully, fully aware. Right, right. Or at least and, thinking I'm fully aware. I'm not sure whether I was actually even aware enough, but I at least knew it was there. A lot of listeners to this podcast, I'm sure they've seen Nerdcore for Life, and you play heavily in that movie. Because at the time, one of my uh, junior college friends had uh, jammed me in the Wikipedia entry for Nerdcore. Um, and I hadn't yet been excised uh, from notability yet. That was the whole fight about it. What does that even mean when it's a subgenre of DIY internet friends, right? Well, yeah. And it's like, you know, what's press? What's radio? Like, because I've been getting college radio since even before I did Nerdcore Rap. So it's like, you know, can I point at this playlist in the Netherlands that played one of my drum and bass songs back in 98? Does that count? <laughs> Wikipedia is fake news. <laughs> You're the rapper who had and has this unabashed love for anime, Japanese culture, and all that stuff. And that now, with all the SoundCloud rappers and emo rappers and Lil Nas X and the whole generation, that's like a central trope. But you were doing it 20 years ago. Yeah, that's the really weird part is, is seeing, like, when you, like, and I, I, I love it. I love seeing, like, the alternate digital cover of Paper magazine, and it's Megan the Stallion doing My Hero Academia cosplay. And I'm like, holy shit, like, I did call it. It was not going to be with somebody like me, which is probably for the best. But it was it was not, you know, the idea that this was going to become just as much as part of pop culture as comics have now become and as, you know, sci-fi and fantasy movies have now become, that that would be sort of become the predominant, um, that would be one of those predominant cultural forces that everybody grew up with. And it's not weird or, or outsider anymore. I think that's great because I think there's a lot of breadth in that, like there's the there's the shallow shallower top level stuff, and not to knock it, but like there's the stuff that's easy to get into, like your Dragon Ball Zs and your My Hero Academia and Mob Psycho 100 and all these things that are like you know they run in big magazines and stuff. But then that gets people introduced to a medium that then has a lot of genre depth that I think sometimes is missing um, in some of these other things, or at least harder to get into. Whereas it's natural because you're like this is an art style, and I'll just follow this art style down into like this specific niche where it's like you know you'll have uh, like the depth that's in, in Japanese comics. I mean, even in terms of what's just brought over is still not everything. Um, but even what's being brought over is at least a lot deeper than it was 20 years ago too. So mm. how fluent are you in Japanese? Not terribly at all. Like I could probably get through a conversation at a convenience store to buy something. That's amazing. Um, but the, no, it's like, it's like, that's, that's watching NHK world uh, in the background on the TV all the time. There's uh, always uh, much more proactive in trying to upper Japanese. Like she's been taking Japanese night courses uh, since we moved back to Victoria and was definitely on game. The last time we went vi and visited Japan, she was handling all the, the real work. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I was talking to Michael Kill. Do you know that artist? He's yeah, a no, I did. A, I, I did a track with him and Richie Branson. We did a, a an anime related track. We did a song about uh, the mech anime Big O, and I think I think Michael's got that on his uh, corrupted archive compilation as well. So I think that's up on like Spotify and all that. Uh, well, speaking of video games, going back to Michael Kill, I brought him up because he was on a recent episode, and we talked about the game Earthbound. Which is, uh, do you know that game? I'm familiar, but it's like, like it's, it's weird. Because I didn't grow up with video games, I feel like there's a huge piece of cultural literacy that I at best have secondhand. Apparently, it's one of the, it's one of the classic Nintendo games that was bigger in Japan. There's like three of them in Japan. And it's these Yeah, we only get like two or one. It's these kids who are kind of like, um, they have superpowers, right? And they're mm -hmm. little kids. And it's like, 
we're talking about how that's a theme off often in Japanese culture, which you see it in other movies about like how the atomic bomb influenced the culture and this idea of like these like mutant kids or like these special, scary, dangerous new generation and, and how that all ties in together and kind of earthbound relates to that. I think it's interesting. Like, yeah, there's a lot of, I think it's, I think it ties back to a lot of works, even though not like super powered works, even the things that are very slice of lifey, like so much of that is set in junior high and high school. And I think that's culturally because like, that's an interesting open time uh, for people's lives in Japan. Mm. Uh, you'll get a little bit more that's college, but not everybody goes to college. So you don't see necessarily a lot that's set there. And that stuff gets, a bit more grounded, even when it's like a comedy, they'll then like break dramedy usually eventually. Um, whereas, uh, so, you know, I think it's sort of like, if you're going to tell a superpower story, you know, it's, it's like, it's the rare, rare work. that's like about like salary men who get to like save the earth or anything like that. They exist and they're amazing pieces of medium. Uh, like there's an anime called the legend of black heaven. And it's about this, washed salary man who used to be a like metal uh rock star guitarist and one day uh this alien woman comes to him and says like we need your hard rock power to save the universe <laughs> he has to go on a spaceship and like shred and then he has to like reunite his band because they need more power and it's all these old like wash dudes and it's just amazing it's just so heartfelt and over the top but it works also because it plays against all of the usual uh, tropes, which is like normally be like if there was going to be somebody who had that kind of thing, they'd be teenagers, right? Like hands down. And I think it's even maybe even more so now because there's been a break recently with a lot of the anime and manga stuff towards what they call izakai, which is other world stories. So it's about a regular person who gets dropped into a fantasy scenario of some sort. Maybe it's the t typical swords and sorcery fantasy. Maybe it's more like a steampunk alternate history thing like you know a lot of different things maybe there's like a gender swap element involved like all sorts of different like bits and tropes sewn through but all of it's kind of related to a certain level of i think escapism or uh thoughts towards like i wonder what it'd be like if i could have been you know the hero in a story um and i think that's i mean i think it may also be sort of why there's a bit of that reflective element towards the youth as well is because it's like what if my youth was different what if i had had right. like superpowers or or had been in the middle of like uh, you know, I'd had like, and it goes both like, you know, it's, it goes both ways. It's like, what if I'd had like th three suitors and it might be, you know, a girl with like a bunch of like beautiful guys who are interested in them or a guy with a bunch of beautiful girls and interest in them. And like those ongoing tropes, uh, in anime and manga that are like big surface level stuff. But like, you see it and you're like, some of that's just like the, the writer being like, yeah, that would have been, that would have been sweet instead of being like the guy in the back of the corner who's just like writing comics and stuff and learning right. how to draw. <laughs> um, Do you think it ties into the um, atomic bomb though? Some of that, some of those themes or? I mean, it's definitely culturally there. Like it's very interesting because like, I, like I said, I watch a lot of NHK world, which is um, Japan's English language PBS basically. Hmm. Um, and it's free worldwide. You just grab an app and watch it. There's also broadcast as a digital substation in the U S on a lot of PBS affiliates. And, um, I just leave it on because it's like usually pretty low key. The news is pretty straightforward that they run a uh, half hourly on it. It's no like spin or bias. It's just like, this was what news was. Um, and, uh, when it's 
around the anniversaries of the atomic bombings, um, they definitely do coverage and specials on that. So you, there's definitely an ongoing cultural effect and a lot of discussion about the Hibakusha, which were the people who were uh, victims of the atomic bomb who survived, um, and sort of the cultural stigmas that were surrounding them in Japan and things like that. Like there's a lot of, it's definitely there in the cultural discourse, but I mean, also there in the cultural discourse these days is things like the 311 earthquake and tsunami, which is, mm. you know, arguably had just as much impact. And there's communities that are, you know, even outside of the issues with Fukushima and the, the cleanup there, it's like, there's communities that are still rebuilding. There's people who are still 10 years later, almost in temporary housing. And I mean, like that was, you know, that was an, a, a, had a huge uh, impact on things there. And it will be something discussed and I think influential on works going forward um, in Japan. Like Japan has, is, is you know, from one, from one, in one sense, like the A-bombs is a huge outlier. On the other hand, like Japan has a lot of natural disasters as well. There is already a culture of disaster preparedness there that's, I think unparalleled probably elsewhere in the world because it's seismically active. It's volcanically active. There's, you know, the tsunami risk, all of these things that make, um, you know, uh, there's flooding uh, very regularly as well. Like they just had some huge, uh, huge rains uh, and you're just taking a look at the neighborhoods and they're like, you know, there's farm farms that are basically were being run by older people. And like, there's no way we can reset from this. So Godzilla too, right? Yeah. The idea is that like there had been like an underwater nuke or something. And I think they play with that origin story back and forth. I mean, it definitely plays into a lot of the visuals of extreme events or extreme power. Like even Evangelion, as much as it leans on like uh, Evangelion being one of the most important uh, Japanese mecha series, robot series. It leans a lot on like um, Christian imagery as window dressing, but like ultimately there is a, the, 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 the way that you're, they're drawing at points, the, the com- the comparison of power is, is like even a nuke can't stop them. Right. Like that's the whole point. It's like they're that, you know, you, you can mm. underline that point as a shortcut um, 50 years later, just by making that point, because if there's any place where that's going to immediately land, you know, it makes some sense. Um, I don't know. It's interesting because it's, there's an impact there, but there's also, Japan's also like these days really good about borrowing from other cultures and then iterating mm. and experimenting on it. Like you'll hang out in a place like America Mura in Osaka, which is very fashionable and very cool. Like they've got like a Supreme store and Adidas original store and all these like really fancy, you know, high-end Western brands, like hysteric glamour, all these things. Um, Avrex, all that. And you see then also little local stores that are like iterating on that and bringing their flares in and doing like brand parodies and stuff. And, you know, it's a very, like there's, there's pockets, like it's such a, such a big place that there's pockets of like amazing experimentation and iteration. Um, And I think that applies to like, it comes back into like the manga and anime too. Like there's the big surface level titles, but then there's like people working in short form stuff that are doing incredibly experimental stuff. And then maybe that doesn't necessarily get recognized in Japan, but then like they're doing bumps for adult swim or something. And like, there was a time where there was like a huge separation in the pop cultures. And I think they've not necessarily fully met in the middle, but Mm -hmm. there's enough shared language between them where it's like, you'll have a show, like you'll have show multiple shows now. Like you'll have shows like Steven universe and OKKO and avatar, the last airbender. And they're all, if not explicitly leaning on anime things, constantly referencing things there's constant hmm. sub there's, there's constant subtext that you would not that is not appreciated unless you've watched this show or that show and that's then so obvious to the japanese audience that you have japanese animators doing guest animation on american shows uh and meanwhile 
those people, when they're doing their Japanese shows, they're putting in the American animators as background characters in their anime. Like this cultural sharing is, is in the, like, I mean, one of the best 3d animators in anime in Japan is a dude who is originally from France uh, called Thomas Romain or Thomas Romain. I'm not sure how to say his name correctly for French, but like he started doing initially sort of like, homage type stuff and it was so great that he just he works in japan now like he does 3d stuff for like major shows that from people who like created uh culturally seminal anime like the guy who did cowboy bebop shinichiro watanabe has tomas romaine doing 3d on his spaceships and stuff like that's that's tight <laughs> like anime has become animation generally i think has become a lot more cross-cultural because i think if you grew up like being into animation as a kid and Basically, since Toonami, which was the big U.S. anime block on Cartoon Network, started, if you had any chops for animation, you were anime wasn't going to be separate anymore. Because you saw all these great anime titles. You saw Dragon Ball Z, you saw Tenchi Muyo, you saw Big O, which Big O itself being a bit of a genre fusion because its aesthetic is heavily copped from Batman and from Art Deco and specifically that Batman the Animated Series stuff because it was the same studio that in Japan that was doing keys and tween works for the Batman animated series. Mm. Like already that blending was happening 20 years ago. Now. Yeah. You'll have people who were doing uh, the culture sharing is amazing. And I think towards that end now, there's a bunch of stuff that maybe. Yeah. In the late 1980s, early 1990s would have been hard to bring over for a lack of cultural understanding, but like Mm -hmm. the best selling comics now are not us comic books. The Mm. best selling comic books are manga. And it's been that way basically since the mid O's like Dragon Ball Z fruits basket. All of these things have been outselling, you know, the single paper trades for over a decade now. And uh, so the, the extent to which it like, you know, it used to be like, Oh, we've got to turn these rice balls into donuts and Pokemon. Why would you do that now? <laughs> There's no point. Like even in the Midwest, people would be like, yeah, the, uh, we, we know what sushi is. <laughs> Nerdcore used to be this proprietary access point to all these things, you know, and like, oh, you know, like, yeah, it used to be like, oh, if you wanted to talk about really go into something nerdy uh, and also rap or make music, then you're going to be out in that pocket. And now it's like, no, like Lil Nas X had a music video and it's just literally chowder. It's literally it's it's literally right. a, a Cartoon Network cartoon. That's amazing. Like, that's. You know, uh, J- JID uh, literally called the song Ed, Ed, and Eddie. And this, and, and the animated, and the music video is animated in that style. And I actually interviewed those guys once at their studio, the guys who make that show mm. or made that show. I don't think they would have, in their wildest dreams, thought like they had that kind of reach. And that then 10 years later, after they finished their show, like people would be making raps referencing them and referencing their visual style in a rap music video. Cause they thought they were making, you know, especially by with the, some of the aesthetics they're leaning, they're like, Oh, maybe this is, maybe we're a bit too much in a suburb, suburban kind of pocket. And like, no, it's it, uh, animation is a, as a medium in a sense, because it's abstract, I think has a lot of opportunity to reach across um, cultures because you are bringing your own signifiers to the table. Because mm. it hasn't filled in all the gaps in the way that maybe a film or live action work would, mm. you know, that's a good point. And like Kanye doing the Akira video. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's 2007. Yeah. And you got to keep in mind, even that's technically Michael Jackson took footage from Akira for the screen music video. That's 1996. <laughs> Isn't that? That's like crazy. 95? That's crazy. Right? It's, yes. um, 
it's really come a long way. And it makes me think about with like people now watching YouTube instead of Aqua Teen and people who like the tastemakers that like made Fred a lot of star now being kind of dispersed on Reddit and all the emo mm -hmm. and rap stuff that I came up in now being like SoundCloud. Do you think that <laughs> me, Chris and Fred and all the old school guys have kind of fallen off? You know, like I remember Chris was always touring with like emo acts and it was always you'd hear the crowds like being like, oh, that's first rap show. And it's just a dude with an iPod. And like, this is like people enjoyed it, but they didn't always get it. And I felt kind of like that must have been weird. Right. Um, but uh, and then it would be bad, too, because there'd be a lot of people who were just there to see Chris. And then like Piebald's going to go on and they're like, hey, bye. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. His booth or have left full out. Um now you can have an act like it's like amazing to think it's like not only can you know say what you want about chris like i'm you know i'm gonna get in that even though those nerd signifiers don't mean you necessarily have to do nerdcore you can aim broader i've worked with people who aim much broader like my most listened to song on youtube isn't my song it's a song i produced for uh, a kid who's now la based but at the time was uh, i think hawaii based and it's like total emo trap stuff Mm. Um, but it's got a Evangelion music video on it and my beats pretty chip toony and it has almost a million views on YouTube. That's <laughs> and I'm like, that's I'm like, what it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think these changes exclude artists because it hasn't excluded me from opportunity. You know, it's like follow people and somebody makes a call out for a beat or it's like, Hey, do you want some, can, you know, anybody got something for me to jump on? You can always reach out there. Like, I think it's interesting to see, uh, like Rand's touring with Mickey Facts. Like Mickey Facts is obviously a bit more mainstream. He's there on uh, Shade Forty Five on Sway in the Morning, killing it. Um, but he's killing it with like just game references, game references, game references, game references, nonstop bars on that. And you're like, on one hand, I could argue like Mickey Facts is an amazing nerdcore rapper because that's clearly core to the thought process of that freestyle. But on the other hand, you didn't just be a cool rapper, <laughs> right? I think that's the difference now. Is is like. If you've got chops, and I think most of the people who were able to make that tour, it wasn't just connections, it was also skill. Connections make a big difference. Like, I think that was super... One thing that's been interesting listening to your podcast is hearing how much it's like, oh man, yeah, an agent would have been a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have sent more things into labels, like those kind of little dumb thoughts. But, you know, those those the, those that stuff plays in, but also it's a lot of it's just drive and talent. And... um on that basis, I think as these things integrate more into pop culture, there's a there's a pocket there. I think also the way you've specialized more with um, some of the lit hop stuff is like I don't think there's ever going to be a lot of people doing deep cut books necessarily in rap. It'll be there, yeah. um, and like I mean every I mean you'll hear like mainstream rap artists drop some like great authors in there and their stuff. Like it's not absent. I'm mean, sure you, every time you sure you hear that on the radio, you're like, ah, that's great. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I think that's another, that's another thing. It's like, even when, like, I remember when I first heard Richie's stuff and like, I'm like, well, this is sort of like bigger, bigger picture anime stuff. I'm like, I thought to myself, it's like, yeah, but that's never been necessarily my lane. Like, yeah, I'll talk about like Gundam or Ava or these things. It's like, I'll also talk about, way 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 deep cut not even officially out in the u.s stuff and will never be so like so there's always also the possibility of leaning into your stuff in a way where you show your talent and knowledge in that space and i think that's something i've seen like i said like you and rang do that stuff 
I think, on a, a pretty regular basis. I think Front, with his most recent record, I think it's only like only Front can write a record about being sick of the internet because he's been on it way longer than everybody else. Like he has a perspective on it that right. goes like, you know, like yeah. I I start like the mailing list uh, uh, HTTP forum days. He starts <laughs> in the dial into a BBS days. That's a very different level of perspective. And he's so old. You, that's, he's just an old man. <laughs> you know, on one hand, you say like sales are falling off. It's like, yeah, but that's just streaming. Like nobody's doing like, I think that may be something. I think the other thing that's, I think the other thing that's different for us and like something that like you guys are going to have to lean on and that I get to like opt out of because I'm just like more at the hobbyist lane is like modern media is so parasocial. It's like there's an argument even for like what we're doing right now in terms of recording a podcast. We should probably also be like live streaming on Twitch and then like reacting to audience things and all this. It's like it's this hyper parasocial thing. So it's these relationships that you have with people online that aren't actually real, but feel real. Okay. Um, It's I'm I'm sure I'm not explaining it that great, but that's kind of the gist of it. Um, There's some there's some great documentaries on YouTube about explaining what. Uh, the parasocial hell series of documentaries that's really good. Um, I was introduced to, to them through my little brother. Um, and they break down like how the modern, um, the, the way you, the way these YouTubers are cultivating came is, is like every YouTuber is your friend. Like they're all, you're always invited into their bedroom or their living room or, or whatever. And they're always talking to you and you're playing video games with them. And it's this, it's a very different kind of fame. Like if you think about like when we were looking at becoming musicians in the late O's, right. Right. And how everything was structured, even, even taking like the disruption of Napster and all that stuff out of the question, just in terms of like, what, what would you do? You would be like, I'm going to get a booking agent. I'm going to get manager. I'm going to get these things. Right. And now you can go direct, but the consequence of that is, is you have no isolation. You are going to build your entire audience by live stream. Like that is, uh, that is parasocial audience building like one oh one. Hey, we're doing this boring thing. We'll take a Q and a while we're otherwise doing something Uh, so that they're maybe more likely to stream more or maybe more likely to buy a merch or something or turn out to a show. And it's that like, I think that's like that, but that's, that's a very, that actually requires, I think a very different kind of personality than fame maybe necessarily used to or narrows it at least because it becomes like you not only have to want this you're going to have to want the idea that like you're responding to your dms constantly you are going to be right you know like remember when you did your ama and you did you responded to every one of those questions right yeah Yeah, that was brilliant thank you yeah (laughs) no 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 that was a but the thing is is like that's i'm sure there's a lot of people like by in doing that every person there now has a slightly more personal connection with you and now you've built that kind of thing. And I think that's part of how this stuff works now is just like you live stream stuff constantly. And I kind of, I mean, I think about that stuff and I'm like, oh man, I, I definitely, you know, it's like, could I theoretically be live streaming every time I make a beat? Sure. That doesn't sound fun to me. <laughs> I don't know if I'm really right. built for that. Um, I mean, I, it's funny because I'll talk to stuff with Narsala and she's like, fuck being famous. Like everybody, anybody can be famous now. It's actually like probably more challenging to stay offline and opt out and like keep off like that dopamine cycle of like Facebook and shit. I don't feel like there's the same kind of on ramps or off ramps. It's a very different pattern than it used to be. There's this book I'm reading that Brian from I Fight Dragons recommended to me. It's called Digital Minimalism. And it's about being very intentional with 
your time online. So like I erase Twitter and Facebook from my app, but I try to be like, okay, on Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm going to do an hour and catch up on everything, but mm. not let it and Reddit take up my whole day, spend more time doing music and doing the things I like exercising, seeing my actual friends. And like, you're, you're right. The parasocial thing is, can be hell. That's hell to me. Yeah. You Cause know? I can take a look at like your situation where you are doing music full time. Right. So there's, uh, you know, there would be the entire argument. that's all like hourly show with MC Lars, or not hourly, but like daily show daily hour with MC Lars could totally be a way for you to build audience and connect. And like, um, we're playing a video game today. I'm making a beat today. I'm recording the studio. Like you could, you could package and put all that stuff out there, but then it's like, you are, there's no dividing line anymore. And I think that's even more difficult. Like, like I'm going to say like, if I were single, maybe married hell no i don't right. want that level of connection in my life to right. like randos and it's like that's not just disrespect my fans my my seven fans who subscribe to me on fan camp um they're great people they pay for, they pay for the they pay for my costco occasionally um <laughs> but it's uh like it's the like what goes into this these days seems like a lot of work and it's no guarantees. Like I've got friends who have gradually built an audience out of streaming games, mm. um, but they took, you know, they had to have a bit of a novel hook. They had to have a good personality and they had to be willing to say like, I like they still work a day job. So they work eight hours, come home, get into character, do whatever they need to do. And then stream video games. Uh, some of which are like expensive pay to win type video games. And that's part of the hook. Um, to build that audience, build that fandom. And, uh, you know, it, it gradually pays off. Eventually you get sponsorships. Eventually you get free stuff. Eventually you start getting these things to come together, but it's like, it's a job on top of a job. And at least for you, it would yeah. be a job on top of a job, but it would be a huge change in what your job is to yeah. take that approach to things. You're and I can see like, I, yeah. I guess, I guess what I can say is, is like the difference for like you and front and Chris. And you also have to be, if you're in a relationship, your partner has to realize they're getting 80% less of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you're always on, like I was doing Twitch mm -hmm. uh, like pretty regularly, but that was, that was time I couldn't spend with my wife. And it was a kind exactly. of, a, and I realized I would rather go deep with her and hang out with her than like play Mario three for 40 people. <laughs> You know, no disrespect to Twitchers, but yeah. that's I'm 37. I'm not trying to, I, I think you're right. If you're single or if you have a partner who's like, okay, well, I get it. This is what you do. And yeah. it's, it's just prana. This, the idea of your energy, right? Like where are you going to yeah. put your energy in? You're yeah. very intelligent in the way you explain it, Carl. You've probably put it as well as anyone has or better than <laughs> that. We've talked about this on the podcast. I love how you put it. It's a, it's a very, it's something I've thought about because I'm thinking, you know, I think in terms of like, I do put out a lot of stuff. So how does that not translate into other things? And it's like, well, there's a set of, there's different kinds of work that you have to put in to make those connections. Now, some of that's just, you know, you know, it's the, uh, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? It's the old hockey, uh, saw that I learned almost immediately upon, uh, first being in Canada. Right. Um, <laughs> so if you see somebody online and they say like, Hey, I need a, a beat, you throw it at them. Like that's how I have that song. It's got a million views. It's like I like a friend of mine who I had already done a collab with is like, hey, I need a, a song for this. I need a beat for this. And I'm like, I think I've got this old beat. Is this close? Yeah. And I had a beat for my chiptune EP that was close enough. Put some like big, uh, nasty distorted 808s under it. Kind of rearranged it there. But you had to take. You have to take those shots. You have to be doing that every single time. Or like the Telltale Heart, right? You, that yeah. that has over a hundred thousand Spotify plays, and that's like 
that you right. put that together so fast. And I, that's, I think, one of our best songs. That was a beat that we made, that I had made l- probably years before I even sent it to you. Mm. You and know, then you sampled the heart sound out there. Yeah, right? we, we, we had the heart sample and like, well, I mean, those little those little bits add a bit more. Like you had that clever idea and you know, to, to to make that to make that uh, grow that little bit. I mean, it's a, it's a, you like it's like amazing because you are uh, you you graduated with English, right? Yes, I did English. Yeah, but yet sometimes you've had the worst luck with like getting your words crossways because I know it's not your intent because I know you're such a good <laughs> dude but like you get crossways with your words I feel like so bad because like I know you don't like when you say something like I'm never going to tour with Chris again that's not a slight you just practicality of how things are arranged with life sometimes right you saw that and how he posted my response out of context right yeah no uh, he's he's uh I mean oh man I'm not, I will we, stop I will stop we don't have to get into that but Here's what I want. This is what I wanted to talk about. Like, mm-hmm. it's true. Like, Violet J from ICP says you only get one chance to be new. He said that to Danny Brown, which I think is great. And I think that, like, yeah. w- when they came out, they wanted to have a, a visual thing and the, and the story and everything. And, like, Frontalot's best stuff, in my opinion, mm-hmm. are his first three records. Chris's best stuff is the DJ John stuff, the early stuff. I don't know, because I feel like I like some of the evolution. Like, I like how Front has... You know, very interesting because, like, when he first started, there was, you know, he's trying to aim at a certain level. He almost dials it back when he re-records some of those for his first few albums. He kind of, mm-hmm. so that he can make them a little tighter, a little crisper. And I know that he's the kind of dude who just, like, Frankenstein's a trillion takes together. Like, he's so meticulous. And I appreciate that. Um, I, I very much, that was the only way I could really do the first, probably four or five records I did. And then when it came to doing animatic, I'm like... I'm not going to rap anything that I can't at least get through eight bars of in a shot. And I mm. really want to be able to do the whole verse. The hook can be a separate issue. And then the next verse, but I'm like, I want that whole chunk to be workable because I wasn't sure whether I was going to perform it live, but I wanted, I knew if I could knock it out in the studio that way, one, my performance was going to be that much more confident. And two, if I need to turn around and play that at, you know, a con or whatever, uh, I wasn't going to like goof it. And I was tired of having things where it's like, I made a cool record, but I couldn't make a cool performance out of it. Um, you know, like I can, I can make, I can make an argument that's like, if what you want is like super, just lots of kind of fun anime referency kind of stuff. Like, yeah, probably up through animatic, like that's what you're going to get. And then I really start switching stuff up from there on out. And like, yeah, my last, like my most three, three recent records are like, alternative emo trap nerdcore because i'm like i'm just gonna right. switch it up i don't you know i'm not i i have done 13 records i'm <laughs> going to make myself super bored or if i don't switch these things up your crunchy roll and chill reminds me of fetty wop you know that kind oh, of that's, stuff that, that, that's definitely like uh, there's <laughs> definitely some the ad-libs are definitely very like fetty wop on that yeah. it's like so, but the thing is like so that's you know I start playing with that though. Or, or, I mean, um, like I start playing with autotune um, on uh, the record before that on unwarranted self-importance, which I felt was just like a great way of sum- sum- surmising being somebody who's like, I, I make all these records like no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I start with that, like I do a track called um, like it like that. And it's like, I wrote that song, I think in like, I wrote that really quick. Like I just like I had a sort of like vibe and I was like, I'm just going to do like kind of a, 
sleazy autotune song, but it's still mm. kind of like covering real life stuff, like covering like things that happened to me. I met Nurse Hella at a conline. Like that's these are real things, but just switching up the context because I've given like the context in terms of like yeah, my big rap influences are Nas and Fuji's and Beck, which is a you know just this straight mid '90s slice of things. Right. Like one of the first raps I memorized was Skilos. I wish. Hey. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I wish it was like six foot nine, so we could get because, like, I mean, that's like I think every nerdcore rapper can relate to. Like, there's there's a mainstream rap song that I think you could be a nerd and absolutely relate to because it's about being. Like, well, I use that hook, right? I use that on one of my songs. That, that my white kids are hyphy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a but classic one. But it, but it fits. Like, it's 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 totally congruent. Um, it's also one of those reminders. that's like the threads have been there for a long time. It's like sure. why is you know why is Method Man calling himself Tony Starks? that's true man and so you so what you're saying is that what's interesting is when people evolve and change i mean it's like i liked kanye's evolution until jesus is king hmm. um well actually until yay like i the second he's like i want to knock out all these records really quick and i'm thinking like in terms of how i could knock out a record like that and if i'm like yay you have one of the greatest studio engineers of all time and mike dean this record should sound better. <laughs> like that's what I'm thinking. That's what. So it's like because it's like if I could make it sound better, then like you've just clearly condensed the process too much. Too much. Leave it for a week. Let Mike Dean clean everything up, and right. then put it out. Like you can be done, but let this other person like hammer out the works because that's what he did with Jesus, right? He had all these bits and pieces, and then he's like, "I am going to get." Um, God, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Rap producer with a huge beard produced a bunch of stuff for Johnny Rick Cash. Rubin? Rick Rubin. He had Rick yeah. Rubin basically finish Yeezus for him. I'm like, that worked perfectly. That's an amazing 10 song. Like part of the reason why I do yeah. 10 song records now is as I'm like, Yeezus is 10 songs long and it's, that's all it needs to be. And if I can work in 10 song chunks, instead of thinking 38 song chunks or even 15 song chunks, I can make more concise work and I can give it, I can kind of do as much of the parasocial thing as I want to do, which is like, mm. I will gladly put out music, without sitting on it so much and overthinking it so that it's a more organic abbreviated process. But I don't want to be necessarily, Hey guys, I'm streaming, streaming the beat that I'm working on, on mixer. Like, yeah, my wife talks about this thing. Little B about little B is that he's an art burner and that he constantly yeah. puts stuff out and you're not, you don't have to be precious about what you create. And I think, and you're such a testament to that dude. I had to learn that the hard way because I d absolutely did not do that. Um, when I started this, I overthought the hell out of it. Like the first drafts of stuff that I would eventually put out in 2004, I had recorded a music video for a school project in, in 2002. That's maybe being precious. <laughs> that's maybe being a bit too precious. So it's waiting for waiting for collabs that'll never turn up makes right. no sense. You'll always have that opportunity if it was meant to happen. Like, like I thought about like for this recent thing, it's like, uh, do I put out, stuff to people or do i just realize that i've got another 10 sets of lyrics in here alone like that's of stuff that i really would like to record eventually that i could always at a later point reach out to like you or whoever else or, or, or ran or i you know on that i would like to eventually do one with with uh with front because i've never never have but mm. you know if it happens it happens and i'm certainly not going to hold up a release on that basis that seems silly yeah i think i've had a similar thing and that's why when i did the digital gangster record with whitey cracker it was such a mm -hmm. release because i'd spent three years on the robot kills record and i worked with so many people and that was a process of 
doing like 40 songs and picking our best ones and, and having producers yeah. I really trusted to mm-hmm. help me pick the best parts. But, but, but Digital Gangster, we did in like a week and that was yeah. so thrilling. So it's like, you got to yeah. change it up. You shouldn't be too beholden to process, I think. I mean, that's just me personally, but I have no stakes. I think it's the other thing is like, I can get away with like, that because it's like what am i out i was out time that i would have you know at worst it's time that i took away from doing chores around the house it's like you really should have cleared the gutters instead of recording those vocals i don't know (laughs) yeah that's like if that's what it is like it's not like like you have like studio time and you have like you got tours and stuff to plan around it's like i get like the pressures and anxieties of like a certain level of professionalism on the flip side of it is is like you know what little b has all of the exact same things and it didn't get in the way from him just constantly burning through art. Mm. Um, and he seems super happy for it. I saw Little B live once with Hella and w- was one of the funnest concerts, despite the fact that some jerk pulled the fire alarm before he could do once on soup. So, but he was like super nice to everybody. Like when the fire alarm was going off, he's like, everybody come up on stage, everybody come up to stage. I'm going to let you, I'm going to autograph whatever. So I gave him like a hoodie and he autographed a hoodie. So he autographed somebody's shoe, you know, like other rappers would be like, I'm going to spray the crowd with champagne. He had like a whole like yeah. little mini bar up there and he was mixing people drinks and then handing them out to the crowd. Like just a completely <laughs> different energy than any other rap show. So he seemed incredibly liberated by, um, his approach. So there must be something to it. Um, yeah, that's it. And that the fact that Chris still tours and, and I don't mean to harp on these dudes forever, but it's just, mm-hmm. it's interesting contextual point for like talking about the evolution of the culture and like how they were originally signposts mm-hmm. to how things were changing and then yeah. how they both kind of survived 20 years later, but it's yeah. a totally different world and they're still doing it. And I think it's, I think it's also I think it's also like it's a it's a good world in as much as somebody like can come up in that very independent lane doing like one kind of thing find you know an alternate path you know like they like they may start like I'm making like YouTube edits and then you can find these sort of weird pathways forward where you find your spot and again you didn't you weren't you didn't have to have anybody around you pushing that you can kind of organically move in a very open public space at the level of comfort you're, you know, with as much transparency or occlusion as you want and do that before you have to like consider the real hard business parts of it. And in fact, you can theoretically just do this stuff as a hobby with a lot and be, be a big hobby that you're putting all, you know, that is your, the, your spare time. It is your marathoning Netflix shows. It is your video games. Cause I think that's why, you know, why am I so prolific? It's like, because instead of watching a bunch of TV or playing video games or whatever, it's like this was the thing that I did to kill time when I was 15. So the only difference is now is, is instead of that being into like a terrible Tascam four track recorder with like my sequencer um, and then maybe slightly a little later into a computer, like everything I have a, a like the my cell phone is a better soft software sense than I could have ever had in 1998. It's got so much more capability. I can do so much more with it. It's got like effects stacks. It's got compression. It's got all of the bits that I need to make cool beats. And I'm thinking right. like, I'm thinking like actually, so apparently you can record vocals with um, uh, Fruity Loop Studio Mobile. And I'm so tempted just because it would be something, another challenge, another interesting way of playing with it as a hobby to be like, I'm just do the whole record off the phone, including what, the phone mic, or do you plug a USB mic in the, I don't or, know what I would do. 
Yeah. I would be kind of curious because if I'm going to process my vocals anyways, does the phone mic matter? I'm kind of yeah. curious to find out. Like it might be compelling. That's tight. Like, I, I, mean, I guess it's the kind of thing where it's like, I'm at a point where it's like, I've made, I've made records that I'm very happy with. And I've ma- said, like, I've also gotten to the point where I feel comfortable. Like it took a while to be comfortable being sad on a record mm. or being really raw on a record. Cause even, even, even in like, even like, I mean, arguably you could say like, well, you know, what about romance language? That's 2007. I'm like, yeah, but even there I'm like, I dodge and I, like I can hide things behind anime references. Now I'm just going to just be kind of be like, yeah, it sucks. Some of my friends are dead. It's sad. <laughs> and I can put that on a record. It sucks for my friends. Some of their friends are dead. <laughs> That's sad. Right. Um, they took, it took a while for me to like do that. And I know it's something, it's one of the things that I'm actually, I like the, about the feature that you did for me uh, on all signifiers is that it was like one of the rare moments where you're not joyful smiles. And I know that, that <laughs> that's a Lars that exists. Because I know that you've, I know that you have literally deaded tracks because you're like, nope, too serious. No, 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 too far. Because we were in the middle of clapping on them. And you're like, Meh. Um, but it's, it's neat that I could draw that, that out because I think it is, I mean, I guess the other side of it is this is like, if you're feeling like you want to change things up, just do it. You have, there's a relatively low risk in trying. Um, because it's not the, it's not how it used to be. Like you've got a mic that's good enough in front of you right now for the podcast that you could like scratch out a bunch of stuff, just try it, see how it sounds, throw it over any old beats that you have handy, handy and see what different perspectives you want to try. Like, I think it's these kind of things where, you know, what was it that um, Jello Biafra said in, in uh, one of the Nerdcore documentaries? It's like, you know, this can be like a box. A prison. This label can be like a prison. I don't think there's any excuse for that because it's not like you're like, none of us have label deals that we've got to like fill out this many albums in this style and they'll hold up our stuff at Columbia because of, we have none of that. There's absolutely none of that at um, our level. And it's fantastic because we can just swing on stuff. Yeah. You know, you want to, um, you know, there's nothing, there's no harm in it. You can always throw stuff out to your patrons. It's like, I tried something different and your patrons may be like, yikes and you're like all right and your patrons may be like wow i didn't know that about you lars i feel closer to you that's true dude and um yeah and it comes down to discipline and being focused and like i I guess i guess the other thing is like i have no idea what it must be like to actually know that you're going to do music as a job i have zero context for that because even when i was between school and school um I one did have part-time jobs at points during that. Like I worked at a computer store, uh, doing retail. Uh, I worked at a friend's startup, which nosedived in. Um, and even in the gaps in between that, there was like, uh, help, help your sickly grandfather move, uh, go to all these cons on behalf Mm. of, uh, anime news website. There's always another thing in the mix to kind of then say like, I haven't had time for music time. I mean, is focus an issue like for you? That's a good question, man. I mean, I think that it's, I'm so blessed that the Patreon helps pay the rent and stuff. So it's like, I know I have to spend so many hours during the day if I want (laughs) want to survive. And Mm -hmm. so I have to make time for it. Mm -hmm. And I always try to enjoy it. And I don't want to ever look at it like I'm punching the clock, right? Because then it sucks. What I make sucks. I have to find joy in it. So I think for me, it's about, if I could be physically active and like exercise and eat well mm-hmm. and be like a happy spiritual person or whatever, then I make good stuff. And it's not just this chasing of feeling like I'm always behind. And I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think some people might feel that way with doing content full time. I don't know. Maybe not. I probably could have kept uh, writing at that hobbyist level for anime news websites, but I was just like, 
I can't just keep doing this for DVDs. I can't just keep watching DVD. Like, cause like occasionally you'll get stuff you love, but then there's just like, somebody's got to fall on this grenade of this, like God awful, poorly animated show. <laughs> and you're just like, you, you know, like it's fun. The first few times where you rose something where it's like, they didn't even have their CG in the same perspective as their 2d elements. And you like crack on stuff and be, a, be snarky. And then eventually you're just like, this is it. This is t- I, you, 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 that's very, unless you've just got sort of that kind of, snark inward and, and 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 innately i think you burn yourself out on it really fast and you're just like if i'm gonna watch something i want to make time for something i want it to be something i'm gonna enjoy <laughs> and That's if i'm it. certainly if i'm gonna write a thousand words about it it really better be something i like now there are times where independently of any sort of responsibility towards that i've felt that recently like i they recently did a sequel to a, a couple of sequels to a show that i uh, really loved um call uh, the show is called fully coolie and it was this six episode thing anime that they've done uh, they did two additional six episode series for and i love that stuff so much that i wrote like five thousand words for my blog like breaking down like the mm. they're very it's a very visually oriented show a lot of symbology and stuff and being like you know like lacanian analysis death drive yada yada like just going off um on it and it was fun for me and then icing on the cake one of the american producers on it linked it and he's like this guy got it this guy understood what <laughs> understood the show and i'm like yes that's cool but i mean the thing is is like that would have had like i didn't need to be didn't need to be my job though i just needed to have fun doing the thing um and i guess it's kind of how i'm treating music it's like it's cool like i really like it when people you know like i've had people for stuff that i posted back like i started on mp3.com like way back like 97 98 like i had a single digit number before my artist page on mp3.com so that's very early in the site's life like there will be people who will email me or dm me or something like clearly 20 years later and like this song was that you made was super great super you know like it'll be like a comment on a youtube profile like i used to listen to this all the time and then you also realize your your global reach. Like I used to listen to this all the time while being in like a favela in Brazil, and you're like, how was how how did yeah. this get any everywhere? And it's kind of mind blowing. It doesn't need to be my job to have that either. And mm-hmm. stuff that I've made later, like I put up an old song that I did that was kind of like a Homestar Runner tribute. I just put it back up on my Bandcamp because again, like I saw somebody mention like I can't find this anywhere, and then comments of a YouTube video. I'm like, all right, I'll fix that, right? Because you appreciate it somehow you know, 18 years later, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a rare thing, man, for, um, this is why I wanted to talk to you today. And like, I think it's a cool thing to wrap this up with a rare thing to have longevity and to enjoy it. And I think most often what happens with artists who do it full time, they stop enjoying it. Or in the tragic case of people like Lil Peep, the demons and the trapping of the culture and the fame and everything they talk about, consumes them Kirk Cobain yeah no you know what I yeah, mean no like and that, and that, that stuff like and that stuff it's like close to home like I grew up in Seattle mm. so it's like you know like I was 10 when when was I 10 94 yeah I was 10 when Cobain passed mm. um actually they found his body on Earth, Nurse Hella's birthday Nurse Hella turned 13 and like found, like that what 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 a hell of a way to start your teenage years wow um, that's crazy yeah, that is yeah it's brutal <laughs> um but, uh, you know, like that was, that resonated a lot. Like I remember listening to something in the way and there literally was a bridge nearby my house and like going with like my like Walkman and walking underneath the bridge and listening to something in the way and being like, wow, do that. And then just recently, uh, Nurselle and I went to Aberdeen. Mm. I went there. Yeah. Yeah. We went, we visited Kurt Cobain's childhood home. We didn't go in. We just, you know, just took a photo outside. And then we, you know, like that bridge is so, so close to that house. It was heavy because you're because the other thing was just seeing that and then thinking about the bridge I hung on as a kid. I'm like, oh, that's they 
that like that was a closer shared experience than I realized. Mm. And when it came to like when it comes to Little Peep, the artist that I was talking about collaborating with, um, Original God, he's a great dude. Um, their, I like their whole set. Like he's with this group, Midnight Society out of LA, and I love all their stuff because it's like it's very anime, but it's also very like emo trap and stuff, and it's super cool. Um, I, I have no business like aping their style, and I kind of do probably on these more recent records, but um, whatever, nobody's going to listen to my stuff. <laughs> uh, but um, he did, he had done a song with Peep, so uh. like that passing like was really hard for him. And then he had um, another one of his uh, friends, uh, Hella Sketchy, who had done like beats for Rico Nasty and stuff like that. He's super young, and he same thing. It's like this like uh opiate stuff is everywhere one of uh, nurse helena's friends uh, same thing opiate overdose and it's just like it's you know i feel lucky that i dodged a lot of that stuff like i was in a position like i i grew up in a ho- household where there was like no drinking no smoking or anything and that stuck with me and it didn't break into my 20s either mm. despite you know oper- like i mean every kid in school like has friends who like who like if i wanted to get drunk or get high like there, the opportunity was there from like age 13 onwards but I managed to just not do that. And I'm realizing it's like, I don't think that would have necessarily, that might have ended very poorly for me because clearly if I'm willing to obsessively just constantly write music, like I don't know that right. if there was like this substance, <laughs> like whether that would have just been like, Hey, you know, it's just as much fun. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but it's, it is, but it is tragic because it's just like, there is like, uh, yeah, I were like, I really like little peep stuff. I know like not everybody in rap raps like, oh, this is new rap stuff. I'm like, I, I like the way that stuff sounds like it is really neat to have. It's such a different, it feels like they're like, I know like you were one of the pioneers of like kind of fusing kind of um, more modern uh, emo and rock stuff with, with rap, but to sort of hear that combination of like, here's these clearly like, uh, you know, uh, sunny day real estate kind of shimmery guitars. And then here's like a Lex Luger trap beat and seeing how that goes together. And then with just the right vocalist, Who's like maybe a little Brad Noel, a little maybe a little uh, Green Day, just that right, right. balance, just just a tinge of auto tune, but not too much. It's like wow, that kid could sing so well. That was what made it work. He has so much emotion, right? That's why I loved his stuff. I mean, I, I think it's the other thing is is like being open to new influences. Like I don't think I would have made my last three records the way I made them if I weren't kind of adjacent at least to mm. people who were in that loop. And that was like sheer happenstance. Like there was a Facebook group of like anime rapper type people kind of things that I got added to and kind of linked up with some folks on in group chat and stuff. And like, Oh, you're doing some kind of different stuff. I'll play, I'll play around that vein. I'll do an EP like that. Oh, I'll do my next LP like that. I'll do the next LP like that. I'll do the next LP like that. And I think we could credit a lot of that to your parents, not letting you have a gaming console when you were a kid, you know, like I think parents encouraging their kids to be creative. Yeah. It's like on one hand, there was an encouragement of like, you know, be creative on the same time. It was like, I think part of the reason I always held back on uh, trying to pursue it more seriously is especially, I mean, maybe not so much for my mom, but definitely for my dad, there was always like art, you know, arts are a hard thing to, to, to make, make a living in. Mm-hmm. It's super risky. You got to have a backup plan. It, it would have been probably a smart idea to try and do something like, remember like beefy router and doc pop did a tour in 2007 uh, you know what? I could have swung on something like that. I could have tried. Mm. Uh, it wouldn't have been the worst thing to like, you know, even if it would have been the kind of thing where like I might have blown, run up a credit card and not not seen the right side of it. It would have been better than just sort of being like, oh, I don't know about that risk. Like, I think it's one of the things that yeah. um, 
that's one of the, that is definitely a dividing line. And some of this stuff is like, are you willing to like, I, 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 I got to give you a huge amount of props for like coming out of a degree for Stanford and still being like, you know what? <laughs> going to swing on it. That's, that's guts. Thank you, Carl. That's sweet, man. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your guts in the, your nonstop creating of stuff. And so you've got your band camp has a ton of stuff on it. But there should be a new album right at the top of the page that uh, has a Japanese uh, uh, payphone on the cover because I'm a nerd and I like stuff like that. Like I like 2600 Magazine and all those hacker magazines because I think it's just interesting, even outside of understanding it always. That's what's um, up. What's it called? Uh, the new album's going to be called Variable Undefined. So going for a comp sci reference for a record that's very light on that and is actually much more, to the extent to which it's referential, it gets deep cut anime. But um yeah, and it's a, it's like it is definitely in that kind of emo trap vein. Like I open up with a drum and bass kind of number, and there's some stuff that's maybe more hip hoppy, but it's um, all uh, super processed and melodic. And I don't know. I feel like this might be the last one of those I do for a minute, mm-hmm. and I'll say that, and then I'll come out with like another one in June or something. <laughs> but uh, no rules to the process, right? That's what you're talking about. I love that. Uh, you've got to you've got to aim for your gut. Like I like I remember you talking about you had like three albums out over the past decade, and I'm like I feel like I'm, I'm well, I would gladly hear more Lars, even if it wasn't always perfect Lars. I think oh, that's thanks. fine. I think that's I mean you think the result is like you can't like there's no bum songs in your discography where like a thousand percent there are in mine. Um, and also just like I, I work over a whole range of genres. Like, by the way, if you don't like uh, rap for some reason yet or listening to this podcast, I do just have a bunch of like instrumental drum and bass and, and rap instrumentals and stuff. So that's what's up. lo-fi, lo-fi, whatever, <laughs> lo-fi <laughs> beats to chill and study to. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to keep the Twitter forever. So at Carl R. Olson, K-A-R-L-R-O-L-S-O-N at Twitter. Um, it's that same word you can also use me to find on facebook and uh all my music is up at ultraclystron.com um i'm sure lars will link this in any sort of description because i know that that's a mouthful of a word that made way more sense when i made just drum and bass than rap <laughs> and carl r olson.com too yes yeah, yeah and that links to links to everything I appreciate your time, Carl, and I appreciate your gems of wisdom. Thank you for letting me just kind of go off. Like, this has definitely been in the back of my mind for a minute doing the podcast. So I'm sure it was just a jumble. No, you're very sharp, man. Well, well, I did kind of, I did make a kind of a little, you know, uh, I I put together a taste test. So it's like, it's not hits, but it's the things that just, here's a few from this. What's that called? It's called taste test. I should, well, I should either do a part two or what I should do is I should, See if I can, like, I've got, like, okay, so I've got, like, 12 or 13 releases. Just pick one from each. Right. Re- redo it. Also put that on uh, distribution on Spotify and all that so that that's also then easy for, just create an entry point. Ducats, Cheddar, Gouda, Skrill. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, Carl. That sounds oh, tight. It's been, good, it's been good chatting. And uh, you've been, by the way, the podcast has been amazing. It's been really cool to 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 get all these different perspectives. And like, I'm glad to see like, you've got such an interesting breadth of, of folks as well. Like there's so, um, I could be like, if it were just a music podcast, that'd be one thing, but you got all these authors and managers and all these other kinds of interesting people. And I just, that's great. Thanks Carl. Yeah. We don't, I don't want it to just be the inside baseball nerd core. <laughs> well, no, I'll, I'll obviously that would be, uh, excruciating. 
No, like, I mean, this is the thing. I love Nerdcore. Nerdcore is yeah. a lot of fun. I specifically go out of my way to try to not listen to much of everybody because, one, I don't want to bite anyone who's that tight to me. Like, if you're Fair arms enough. length removed, that's fine. If you're right there, I'd feel really bad if I, like, subliminally lifted something from, yeah. like, from somebody. But also, it's just, like, it's too circular. It's too close. Like, you, I can't evolve. I can't find anything I can't shock myself with something new and then try something like if I'm going to write 500 songs in a decade, that doesn't come from just doing the exact same thing 500 times over. That's right. Work. That, and that was kind of the theme of my first blog, encouraging people to do what you just said. <laughs> I love when somebody says like, uh, you got me into rap. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, I, I, like, I hate it when people say like, you're the only th- rap I listen to. Cause then it's like that. Then you can start the conversation the other way. But I love when somebody says like, Hey, I listen to you. And now my favorite rapper is like anybody else it might even be another nerdcore rapper, but at least they're like growing and experimenting. Cause <laughs> right, you know that right, that's, right. that process has started and that maybe when you run into them five years later at a different convention or wherever, they'll be like, Oh, now I listen to like, you know, uh, whatever, like listen to Kedrick or something like great. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or I listen to you and now I don't like music at all. <laughs> that would be amazing. That's that would be, even like, better. Be, that would be amazing if somebody said like, I heard your, I, I, I heard your song, I heard your album and I realized that the entire concept of music is bunk. I was trying to be a rapper and now I, I decided I want to be a doctor and do something else. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> that would be, that would be amazing. Because <laughs> what, because what would that imply? Does that imply that like, in fact, you were, it's very inspiring or were you yeah, so good that they better. thought they could never, they was like, yeah, can right. you, like this, the, this is the king of rap. <laughs> um, Ultra Klystron, thank you, G. Carl Olson, um, this has been tight. And I encourage everyone to check out your vast discography. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Yeah, talk to you later. Never once lost, though it comes to a close, we finish camp.
love it, yeah, that never will change Thank you, Carl. Great interview. Next week, we are talking to Majortron. Speaking of Nerdcore for Life, he's another artist featured in that documentary, and he's made a comeback. He just did his song, Hyrule, and I'm on the remix, and uh, it's ill. It's great. So I talked to him about what he's been up to and uh, Japanese culture and all that. So check that out. Right now, we have the MC, MC Lars, Lars Patreon, Patreon Larson of, the, of week. the week. This is Will in Ohio. Hey, Lars, this is Will. So, uh, first time I heard your music, I was at work, sitting in an office. I didn't really deserve to do a job that was above my pay grade. And, uh, it's a story you've probably heard a lot, but, um, I had a friend recently pass away to suicide. And, uh, 23 came on, and, uh, you know, big, awesome man like me, absolutely lost it. I, uh, snuck off to the restroom and you know I had my my manly moment of just embracing how I felt about everything and it was heavy and it was uh it was serious it was a, a very um big deal a very meaningful moment for me and that song has uh carried a very special place in my heart a very significant feeling of um camaraderie I don't even know if that's the right word unity you know use a better word um, knowing that other people have been through this and suffered and sucked and that we've come through the other side and that we have each other and can lift up other people. It was very empowering. It was very motivational and it was very meaningful. It, uh, it was a big deal. And uh, it's going to be one of the most meaningful moments of music in my life ever. And I appreciate it. So thank you for that. Wow. Huh. That was emotional to hear. Thank you, Will. Um, it really means a lot to me that that song meant a lot to you in that moment. And that song has had a surprising resonance, tragically. You know, I, a few years ago, I went to my college reunion. Now this is five years ago. It was my five-year college reunion. And my wife now, we were then dating. She came out to meet my friends. And I, I did a talk about what I'd been up to and... We were leaving, and we drove up to Marin County, where I was living, to go to the movies and hang out instead of going to the after party um, with all my former classmates. And I remember she was sleeping in the car, and I remember I cried uh, driving up because it was such a hit in the stomach that I would never see my friend again. And here I was back at this place where we had all these memories. And um, yeah, and now coming up on another five years like almost 10 years, wait, 20 years since I've met, since I knew Pat. It's just, I talked about at the beginning of this um, podcast about like the feeling of how quickly time passed. And I don't know if you guys saw this year, I, I did an article about how I'm kind of retiring 23 because it always makes me cry <laughs> when I perform it. And I want to help preserve Pat's memory in other ways. And depression is such a just vitriolic, surprising, heavy, whack 
real thing that, you know, there's always someone to talk to if you're feeling sad. And if you've lost someone, there are support groups for that. So, Will, that was a, a beautiful message, and I relate to you, man, and I appreciate it. And, yeah, I hope you're doing okay. Thank you for sharing that story. That's incredibly meaningful. All right, y'all. Well, the holidays are coming up. I hope you guys can listen to something else next that will make you laugh and smile or something like that. And uh, I appreciate you all listening. I appreciate Carl for his time. And uh, thanks for being longtime supporters. This podcast now, if you look on Apple Podcasts, it's cool. I started in 2018, so now we'll go 2018 through to 2020. And so time flies, but I'm going to keep going, man. Keep going. So thank you all for listening. And if you want to be on the podcast and share a message, get a free t-shirt. Join the Patreon. I'll give you the phone number for the Google Voice. All right, Majortron next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye.